Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. Do you ever wonder how to accelerate your growth, healing, and evolution without hard work, meditation, or spending thousands? Over my years as a conscious seeker, I've encountered one DNA activation and healing method that stands out above the rest and does just that. It's a uniquely potent evolutionary modality that helped me break out of feeling blocked and disconnected, allowing me to unfold more and more of my potential and true self, as well as deepening my spiritual connection, enhancing my energy levels, and more fully activating my body's healing mechanisms. It also remedied a major but little-known energetic blockage which most people have but don't even realize. Now this convenient transformational method forms the core of my Evolve Yourself course, which has helped hundreds of spiritually awake people to accelerate their growth and evolution with minimal effort or cost. Learn everything you need to know at evolveyourself.live. All right, ladies and gents, welcome to this episode of Truthiverse. And uh, this week, I have the pleasure and privilege of being joined by Yanea, who is a, well, let me just read, I'll read you her short bio here. She is a molecular biologist. She was born in Slovenia, a part of former Yugoslavia. She got a bachelor's degree in molecular biology in Italy and in 2002 received her PhD at the same university studying function of proteins that participate in protein synthesis. In 2005, she went to the Department of Microbiology at the Ohio State University as postdoctoral fellow where she worked on a control mechanism of transcription, RNA synthesis in bacteria. Maybe we can come back and touch on that kind of thing later on. You know, uh, May 2008, she moved to the Cancer Center as a postdoctoral fellow and started working on a human in a human genetics lab, studying genetic predisposition to, to colon cancer and later thyroid cancer. And in January 2017, she started working at a cancer center in Southern California, an interesting place to be in these times, working on genetic predisposition to breast cancer, where she remains to date. Uh, during her career, she's published several first author peer-reviewed papers and collaborated with many scientists and co-authored research papers. In Feb 18, sorry, 2018, she completed a plant-based nutrition certificate at T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutrition Studies and E. Cornell as she started realizing diseases can be prevented, including cancers. So with that all said, Yanea, thank you so much for joining me for a chat. Thank you for inviting me. We finally connected. So you see everything at the, at the right time, I'm sure. So thank exactly. you so much, Brandon. Thank uh, you. It's my, it's my pleasure. And thank you for, for, you know, speaking out at this point in time. It's great. So well, let's get stuck into it. Um, I, you, You've got a lot of credentials in the realm of genetics, molecular biology, you know, supposedly, you know, someone in your position knows quite a lot about what happens in the body, how it all works. But you've, you've had to question quite a lot uh, in the last couple of years, you were telling me, uh, in across a number of different fields all the way down to the nature of reality itself and i love that you're so open you're so open much more open-minded than you know most people who are you know in working in the realm that you've been working for so long um and just i didn't mention it but yunea has at least 25 years experience with pcr technology as well working with pcr so Maybe we can start there because I know Yunea has done a lot of talking uh, in a bunch of interviews recently about PCR and she's gone into a lot of detail with like slideshow presentations and stuff. I'm not going to make her trot it all out again. Um, maybe we can just start there and give like a little bit of an overview of PCR. Obviously, it's a huge part of this scamdemic over the last three years. And 
your ears pricked up when you heard that PCR was involved in this early on, didn't they? So maybe you could give us a little bit of what kind of got your attention with the COVID thing and then why PCR is a load of bollocks. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so I was as scared as the as the next person at the beginning. Like when we started with the lockdown, I'm like, oh, it's going to kill us, whatever the virus. I believed everything because, I mean, as a... As a scientist, I was questioning nothing. Whatever they told me, I had, this is what it was, right? So then, of course, we uh, started being home, like working from home. And that gave me the chance to do a little bit more research on the Internet. And I've been a presence on Facebook for the last, I think, several years for other reasons as, a, as an animal advocate. So I was on Facebook, so something started coming through my Facebook feed, and somehow I came across Dr. Kaufman's video where he was explaining how PCR is what is used to to get these cases, like the cases that were on CNN, all these TVs, like cases, what is a case? Oh, a case is a positive to a PCR test. And that's where my ears went up. What the heck are we talking about, PCR tests? So, I've been using PCR technology as a, it's a molecular biology tool that amplifies fragments of DNA. So amplifies fragments of DNA so you can create, as Kerry uh, Malis, who invented the whole thing, says, you can get a bucket load of something out of nothing, pretty much. So you can really amplify and each amplification cycle can add mistakes and you can amplify more because you made mistakes. I mean, it's a, it's really a shit show. Sorry, let's just say it what it is. Because I mean, even before this 2020, whatever, stupidity, scandemic, whatever it is, I always told my students when we were setting up a PCR reaction, I would say, you know, at the end of this reaction, we will get out uh, a band, which is a DNA fragment, let's say, that you visualize on a gel. And But we don't know what's happening in the tube. So I'm like, we might get it, we might not get it. So we put in everything correctly, but who knows? Because I told them it's like a black box, you close it, and then you start praying pretty much. You're like, <laughs> okay, let's hope something gets out. And... All my students pretty much always had the problem. So what you do is when you amplify something that you know, something is in your tube and you want to amplify it, you also use everything the same apart from the template, which is DNA fragment that you would be amplifying. You don't put that thing in your tube and you still run it through the same cycle, same number of cycles, same temperature, same everything. And what happens? So this would be my water control. A lot of students come to me and go, oh, Yernea, my water control has a band in it. So meaning it's positive, something showed on the gel. So once I started hearing that they were not saying how many cycles are the cutoff. I mean, I was hearing that they even run 45 cycles of these amplifications, which in the lab, what we're usually using, it's never more than 40 cycles. And above 35, you already start questioning what's going on. So there were so many things that were just, even just with the PCR, 
Once I learned that there is not even the starting material, so that the virus has never even been isolated, once I learned that thing is not existent, then I was like, oh, so then it's even worse. I only thought that the problem was too many cycles, um, that kind of stuff. But then... So uh, obviously, yeah. that's huge. So like, for, because you have detailed knowledge on this, like when you realize that the virus, the so-called virus, hasn't actually been isolated which means we can't say that it really we know that the thing exists how do you connect that into the pcr then what does that tell you about the pcr so people can understand well we don't have a virus so what's going on with pcr then <laughs> we have for sure we have some material but nobody knows what's in there mm -hmm. because it's a mix of so then i went looking at the at the first sequence that they've done of the first patient and i realized Oh, they just sequenced everything in the sample that they took from the person's whatever, nasal cavity or whatever. So they didn't remove everything else and kept just the, this phantomatic virus. But they had everything in there and they sequenced and they, the, then the computer created some sort of a viral genome. But again, it's all computer creating something. So... Amplification, I think there are two problems. Amplification is we are probably amplifying something, but at some point in history, they decided that that sequence belongs to the virus. So yeah. I would need to go back and look in maybe 1995, 1996, 7, some papers back from those days. To, to see, oh, at one point they called this sequence as belonging to the virus. But again, how did they say it's belonging to the virus because the virus has never been purified? So now I follow several people who go, I'm too lazy to go digging deep down in those papers because I have so much work on myself to do, so many other things. I mean, I'm so curious about this whole nature of reality. I'm like, forget about that stuff. I really am not interested. But I know people that went digging, they're like, look, I go back into 954 paper and no, they don't show anything. And then I also know how we write scientific papers. So the way we write scientific papers, it's a lot of, oh, there is the possibility that our um, experiment showed this, maybe showed that. And then we write it kind of as a fact. And then the next person that cites it sites is as a fact mm -hmm. when we kind of just said oh it could be but the next person because it's kind of they need that result as the basics for uh, to continue their research right and then just they just take it as a fact and i'm like no i didn't write it like this but you and this is what you find when you go digging and you go digging through nature papers. I mean, all of these important science is the important journal, right? New England Journal of Medicine. I mean, once you start digging and I think with me, it was really, I came across some research back in 2008 that my coworker did. She, so she did something, PCR was involved. Oh, look, PCR was involved again. And she did something, she found something, and they published in a very important paper. And then I went looking and I went digging and I went testing again. There was nothing there. So again, my experience with stuff 
in the lab brought me to where I was at in 2020 because I'm like, look, I've come across things that didn't make any sense, results that once you re try to repeat them, they are not there. So I'm like, look, I don't trust anybody. So I really, I'm so, I don't trust anybody because I also know what I have written in my methodology, like years ago. So again, the way scientists read papers, usually, you know, papers is, is composed of introduction and abstract at first, and then you have methodology. We usually read the abstract where everything is written. You know, it's like, oh yeah, we found this, this, this. But if you really go digging, you're like, you didn't show this in the paper. And we usually don't look at methodology. I will say it, if we are not really interested in maybe repeating um, that experiment or building on top of that experiment with something else, we just don't look at methodology. But once you go the way Dr. Kaufman has been teaching us, sit and look at methodology. You look at methodology and you are like, oh, oh, no, it's not there. And especially with my background. I mean, it's hard for a person that has never uh, written a scientific paper that has never been in the lab. It's a little harder for them, but they can understand it also. Mm -hmm. This whole thing that people say, oh, but, but, but I'm just a carpenter. What do I understand? You can, if you cannot, you know, contact me, I'll help you out because we all need to learn because all of these things are written on purpose. So uh, in a complicated way, so it's like, oh yeah, they need to go to a scientist, you know, who will tell them what they should mm -hmm. think. And the more I look, the more I learn. And another experience that was, that happened like probably 2018, when they laughed at me at work as I proposed prevention for cancer, like real prevention. Mm -hmm. I mean, at that point I was interested mostly in like nutrition, but now I would know it's more. It's like really thoughts and the reality you create and all of that. And they laughed. So I'm like, oh, so we are not interested in healthy people. So that was just one, you know, thing that made me stop and say, oh, maybe they're not really into yeah, mm. <laughs> doing something that's that's best for people. So that's that's that. And when when. Um... Um, I don't want to harp on PCR so much, but when you were using it, because you used it for so long, uh, what were your, you know, what was your usage for most, of, for the most part? Because you weren't, obviously, you weren't trying to diagnose viral conditions in people. What were you doing with exactly. PCR all those years? Exactly. So what we do, again, it's all based on now I need to, I will start questioning genes and DNA and all of that. But let's just assume that everything that they told us about DNA is true. Okay. So let's say there is human genome and there are chromosomes and all of that stuff that kind of everybody that kind of at least goes maybe to high school and does some biology. This is what they learn, right? So what we were usually doing, uh, we were amplifying short regions in a chromosome and, and let's say in a gene, trying to see if maybe, so there is a thing that's called, um, there are things that are called variants like mutations in genes, right? So they say, oh, this specific mutation will predispose a person to get this cancer, that cancer. So what you usually do, you amplify 
the area of the gene around that mutation and then you do what's called sequencing. So it's really amplifying and then sending for sequencing and then you see is the mutation there or not. It's not for saying, oh, now if we have this short fragment, then the whole virus is there. Because this is what they were saying. If they were able to amplify the 100, 150 nucleotides, this is what test is amplifying, is amplifying a really short sequence of DNA. And out of that, they say, oh, yeah, the virus is there and the virus is going to kill the person and so on and so forth. Uh, we don't even know if the whole genome is there. If there, if there was a genome, let's say, even if there was a genome, we still couldn't tell if the whole genome was there or if the genome degraded and there were just fragments and you would find this fragment and amplify it. So even if the genome was there, now that we know that the genome is not even there, that the virus is not there. So now it's like, so what are we doing? And the thing is, I was never looking into it, but uh, flu, again, virus has been diagnosed in the same way. So they've been, when they say, oh, the influenza type A, B or whatever, I'm not, I'm so not into this whole, because I just ignore whenever they say this influenza is running around and you need the flu shot. I'm like, this I already knew before. I'm like, I'm not taking any flu shot. I mean, what the heck? I'll just be sick a couple of days and that's yeah. it. So it's all good. But yeah, so we are amplifying regions and then we do certain things with, with these like amplified sequences, but not like diagnosing nobody. So it was it was a research based. Obviously, you were research based yeah. for yeah. for certain things. So you weren't trying to be you weren't involved in the contagion paradigm of oh you've got this virus you've got that virus or any of that nonsense. Um, what did you did you I mean what do you feel like you took away from that time? Do you, do you feel like you learned anything that you can rely on now in terms of that that research? Uh, you mean my just in general my research. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, working the with, with the PCR and, yeah. you know, did it tell you yeah. anything? Did you learn anything that, you know, you feel like is robust that you've really taken away and it's been useful? Um, or, or are you now having to question all the different aspects of, of that? I mean, look, I'm questioning pretty much everything, right? So there were things that um, experiments that I've done I just changed a little bit the conditions and then the experiment was not the same as the the day before. It's very, everything is very not robust. So uh, let's say one day you just turn around in a wrong way instead of counterclockwise, you turn around, you know, clockwise and the result is different. I mean, it's a lot of, and then you listen to Bruce Lipton, which again, I started in 2020 or maybe 21 and where he was explaining how or maybe it was in with interview his interview with somebody else they were explaining how dna was created out of nothing in an in a closed appendorf tube i'm like okay so really everything is freaking possible so i mean what i was doing in the lab really just told me not everything is the way it seems and also told me how people just rely on I mean, most of my coworkers don't question anything. They kind of, they question it to a certain extent when they want to feel like I'm smarter than the next guy doing this type of research. But when you really put them in front of, but look, 
viruses have never been proven or this has never been or something something whatever um they will shut you down and just think that you are cuckoo but sorry it's the other way around but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> it's okay yeah i mean the the thing is they have uh they, they they've got safety in numbers right so they think that yes. you're the you're the, the lunatic but um yeah they're they're really all members of a kind of like a medical cult in a way that's how i see it anyway um so you've had a very steep learning curve the last three years <laughs> yep it i mean i'm telling you it went from uh completely disconnected person it went to connection overnight what does with, that mean tell me more with, elaborate on that we we i would say we the source because i was a completely i mean i was raised roman catholic uh -huh. so just to go in you know where i'm coming from right and then you go and you go into science and you pretty much oh yeah it's all bs like nothing is there so it's all science 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 <laughs> although i had experience with reiki in high school i had experience with numerology i had experience with several things that are a little out there right but again then you are oh i want to be this scientist and you know yeah. so disconnected from everything and anything and then as i told you i've been led down the completely wrong path especially southern california is like it's a place they are lost they're completely lost i mean they're following the wrong ideas completely mm. so i guess one night somebody approached me before um pandemic um, a buddhist a, a young guy who's following like buddhism and stuff and he's like oh i'm following this i'm working with this guru so I now know better, but at that point he did help me to make a certain like a jump. So the way I explain it is I think there was a lot of stuff that was ready for me when I was ready. So mm -hmm. I got this download of stuff, information. I mean, it was like when I woke up in the morning, I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I mean, and to a scientist, that was a big thing. I mean, a left brain, like completely so. I was like, what the heck just happened? And then my husband thought I was a little crazy when I started telling him like certain things, although he's been on a journey. So the difference between me and my husband, he's been on a slow journey. And I went from nothing completely down the wrong path to like all the way, like let's jumpstart her on where she needs to be. So, I mean, I'm still at the beginning of the real journey but yeah now i know oh traumas i had no clue there is a thing like childhood traumas and traumas in general so now it actually explains a lot about why a lot of my even vegan friends are former because they have no clue that they need to heal those traumas first instead of pointing fingers at others what they need to do yeah. so it's like wow now everything is more clear but yeah it was it's been it's been a journey mm. <laughs> really just and and really i i can say one time i was weeding outside and just through knowing the pcr and stuff i said oh i really saw the matrix so i really saw how all of this is keeping us 
all of this fake, like PCR is fake. I mean, all of these results are fake. All of the research that we do in the lab, this is all creating fake reality. I was talking to my husband and I'm like, wow, they've really, my husband is a scientist like me, like PhD, um, the same molecular biology. And we were talking and I am like, we've been used as people with credentials, right? But then they pay us. So we kind of, I mean, who doesn't like to live in a little better house rather than a little, right? Or be homeless, right? So who yeah. doesn't like, I mean, just in general, right? So you can actually see how they've hooked us in. Luckily, we didn't fall for that. I mean, we come from families that, nah, that's not where, you know, doesn't matter. A car, as long as it runs, it's fine, right? Sure. So, but pretty much this is how they created, and everybody's following the scientists and medical doctors who are saying what's the best for the system and what's the best for their salary at the end, I mean, for their income. So, so that's it. So it's, I mean, it's fascinating if I can say that really just watching. And I've been saying, I have the privilege of sitting like first row seat, watching at my, like my coworkers who are still completely asleep and they discuss still now, they're still getting tests. Oh to see when they are having sniffles, if it's COVID or if it's something else. Oh my God. I mean, you just observe and you are like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it is. So, so right. you were very much like the black sheep in the in your in your job in your in the places you've worked through your career. Basically, you were surrounded by people who are just asleep, more or less. Yes. And so the thing is this, even before, like years ago, a coworker of mine actually called me, um, she called me a dead project queen. So what I was doing, my boss would give me a project to work on. I would find out that that is leading nowhere because it's like based on false premise, based on what, and I would have no problem to just say, look, it's not what you think it is. It's not leading where you think it needs to go. And that's it. And I would just make this whole stash of papers <laughs> and stick them in, in my drawer. And because most people are after the publication because what you need, right, to move on is like a new paper, fancy paper in New England Journal of Medicine, yeah. The Lancet, blah, blah. And yeah, my, my coworker from Poland, he was like, Yerneya, you are just amazing. You are that project queen. I mean, I would open the drawer, the different titles. Yeah, yeah, this one I killed, that one I killed, that one. I killed. <laughs> and that's been, that's been way before this COVID. Way, so if, if it didn't like sit well with me, it was like, if I saw that it was, a lot of it was kind of uh, questionable, I would just shut it down. And yeah. I've done the same with my now boss's project. When I came in, I think to 17 to 18, I told her, look, what that bioinformatician said about a certain thing, this is not what it is because she looked at it wrong. She doesn't know how to look at it. Oh, okay, you're now fine. <laughs> she killed it. We killed it together. So there, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm special. I'm really. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> the cold-blooded killer of papers. <laughs> uh -huh. Pretty much.
Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing in science, right? You know, you, you, there's this sort of prestige every time you get a paper and the more papers you publish, the more prestige you accumulate. So there's this, everyone's got this drive and competition to try to get, they keep putting their name on, on these papers, regardless of whether they make any sense or there's any validity or the concept valid, the premises are wrong or accurate, or it's just, you know, it's like a, the, the old boys club of science and you keep climbing your way to the top by publishing more papers. Yes, and because you can only go up, like you can only uh, continue to like professorship position or whatever with the more papers you have, the, the higher you can go, right? And then another problem is that I'm seeing with my boss who I'm sure she's a good person. She's a good person. She has a lovely backyard working with her hands. I mean, it's not, she's not like paying somebody to do it. She has chickens. She is a lovely person, but what I can see is she has a lot of us that depend on her getting grants. So my salary depends on her getting the grant. So if she all of a sudden opens her eyes and says, oh boy, this is all. So then there are several people that she won't be able to pay anymore. So I think a lot of it, even if she knows that something is off, she is not willing to question it. And then another thing is they are kept so, so, so busy. Grants, review grant, uh, write your own grant, write your paper. I mean, it's so, that's why I declined when uh, I was offered a professorship. I pretty much declined it because, because years before I saw my friend who accepted it and then all of a sudden she disappeared. I mean, she was nowhere to be found Saturday, Sundays. I was volunteering at an animal sanctuary and she's like, oh, I cannot come. I need paper to write. I need this. I, I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm definitely not doing that. So, I mean, it's a lot. You need to decide for yourself. I mean, at some point you need to see what do I want to be like, you know, Professor Pirnea, so-and-so, or I just want to have my life do my thing, what really makes me happy. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm a scientist, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm doing that. But now that I see what this science is, I mean, since it's a lot of it is paid by Big Pharma. Yeah. So everything that we are researching is a new molecular mechanism that leads to, let's say, breast cancer and how which step of that molecular mechanism we can inhibit with a new drug. So that's that. I mean, so it's clear where they're. So when I talk to them about prevention of course they look at me like i'm the stupid one because it's not in their interest right mm. yeah yeah i mean how much of the research you know the community the kind of research community that you've been working your career through uh i would say from what i've seen on the outside i'm an outsider looking in most of these companies and institutions are funded by big pharma i mean to what extent do you think that that's the case versus people or institutes that are not funded by big pharma? They seem to be in a minority there. It seems to be a very, very big problem. Yes, so definitely. So it's a minority because if we know that there are grants from National Institute of Health, right, NIH. So one would think that that's taxpayers' money, but again, NIH from what I've been learning now, it's influenced by big pharma also. So at the end, yeah, yeah, okay, it's taxpayers' money, but who tells them where to put it? It's still, you know, it's still dictated by big pharma um, what they will, what they will fund, right? And the thing is, we do have an initiative in California, like breast cancer initiative, something, something. So it would be 
more of an independent money. But again, if the paradigm is wrong, even that freaking independent money will end up doing the wrong type of research. Yeah, it just so, goes down the drain. Yeah, because we would really need the change of understanding. So what is really, what is cancer? Oh, maybe it's not what they told us it is. Oh, we don't need to really fight it. We just need to stop creating it yeah. because that's what it is. I mean, we create it through so many, uh, in so many ways, right? I mean, psychological way, just through really thoughts. I mean, a friend of mine said she created her own cancer because she said, I would prefer to get cancer rather than my kids. She was so worried about her kids' health. Oh, yeah, yeah, like I would, I would have no problem getting cancer as long as my kids don't get it. 42 years, she got cancer. She's 75, 76 now, all good. That woke her up. That awakened her to the nature of reality. That really, I mean, she's a, now she's an amazing person and helping people. But we create our own health problems. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's such a big clue in, you know, if you look at, uh, for example, just as, as an example, uh, women who have been uh, sexually assaulted or raped and often end up getting cancer in, you know, vaginal region or uterine cancer or something like that, but connected to the event. Um, and, and it's like, well, I mean, that's a very big sort of sign, neon flashing bright lights in our face going, hey, hang on a second, this is a psychosomatic phenomenon. And uh, if you have the right kind of trauma, the right kind of perception of, of an event, then you initiate these, you know, what, what Germany medicine calls the special biological programs. And then you end up with the, the symptoms, which is the body's way of trying to, you know, cope with or, or grapple with this, this event that's happened that your psyche has to deal with. Yeah, German new medicine was also completely new when I first heard of it. I'm like, what the heck is this now? But then you start reading, you start following some people and it's like, it all makes sense. Okay, mm -hmm. we'll get there also at some point. I mean, it, we'll get there. It's, I know it's out there and I know it's explaining a lot of stuff that people are experiencing, like diseases that, of course, my coworkers would say, oh, you need this type of chemotherapy and radiation and this and that. And I'm like, just stop it. I mean, it's poison. It's poison. And it's clear it's poison. Oh, and when I'll just throw it in here, the breast implants since, you know, cancer. So what we do is genetic predisposition, right? We look in genetic predisposition. There are these two genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, that predispose women to get breast cancer. So what they do, they test your genetics, and then they're like, oh, we need to do a prophylactic mastectomy, right? So they remove breasts. Like what happened to, we know who, Angelina mm -hmm. Jolie in 2015, I think. And that mm -hmm. was a huge like advertising. Oh, ladies, you need to get tested and you know, you need to have. Then last year it hit me. I was completely unaware. So I'm working since 2017 on breast cancer, right? Before it was colon cancer and other stuff. But breast cancer since 2017, I was not aware at all that breast implant illness is a thing. I was completely unaware. So I know that my boss is unaware. I know that most people that are prescribing 
um, double mastectomies, all of this stuff, they are completely unaware. So some people somewhere up there, I'm sure that they know what they're doing, but like all of us, like down here, I mean, are just, oh yeah, this is the best for women. So, and then when you start reading like the symptoms and what it is and how sick women get, and then they need to go and get everything removed, like the implants. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's mm. crazy. And I don't know, one of these days I'm going to break the news to my coworkers. I'm still waiting patiently <laughs> What at what time, but eventually they'll get informed because wow it's scary have you had conversations around um you know the the germ theory stuff with your current co-workers that kind of thing or coronavirus this type of stuff so i was not so we were of course supposed to once we got back we went on wearing masks right so i was not wearing my mask properly so human resources recalled me because i was reported so after that, I talked to my husband and I'm like, I just want to quit. And he's like, no, you can't, not yet, blah, blah, blah. So he convinced me. And I think he did the right thing because also doing other things, I was told by uh, people that do like whatever readings and stuff. They were like, at the, at the right time, it will happen. You will come across something new and then you can move on. Just don't like, in the way, like, don't quit. So I'm like, okay, fine. So they saw me, they know that I didn't get vaccinated. I didn't wear the mask. As soon as we were told vaccinated people can take their masks off, I pretended I was vaccinated. I'm like, <laughs> I'm highly vaccinated, so I'm not wearing the mask anymore. So they see me, I'm not sick, I'm not testing, I'm not like coming, oh, I had COVID these last two weeks, I'm just and they just don't connect. So uh, what I did something crazy um, because when I awakened, you know, I was explaining this to my friend. I mean, when my awakening started, let's put it this way, when it started. So I was thrown from completely asleep to like the opposite, like completely on the other side. So I had to then find, I mean, I'm still finding the balance, right? I'm still trying to figure out. So what I did, I kind of knew that all of this would not lead in the NWO business. I mean, after the first months, like summer 2020, I was still, oh, it's really bad and we will get like enslaved and this and that. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I started following people that are like feeling energies and doing all that other stuff. I'm like, okay, forget that. So I thought that everything would turn faster. Because the way I awakened fast, I'm like, oh, yeah, everybody will awaken so fast. So, yeah, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> oh, Yerne, you were so freaking wrong. So <laughs> in October 2020, I did present to my coworkers in what's called the lab meeting when we present, like we can present a, a paper, our research, whatever. So I did present to them about PCR and about how a lot of this is psychosomatic, like the panic attack is very similar to like panic attack symptoms are similar to COVID symptoms, like shortness of breath and this and that. So I gave them the whole spiel. And what happened is at the end, um, several were just quiet, the younger ones. 
I'm kind of the senior together with the lady that reported me about the mask. Uh, <laughs> and she stormed out from the Zoom meeting at the end. She's like, Yernaya, you didn't get this approved by the institution, by the boss, by this, by that. And she stormed out. I mean, she did like click on, you know, the Zoom. And I'm like, wow. And she's still wearing the mask, 100 times jabbed, wearing the mask. So it's like... I don't know. I don't know what to take. Did how did um, in the aftermath of, of your presentation? What did anything change? Did people have interesting conversations with you? Or? No, no, it was completely ignored. So now I'm realizing when you shine a little bit too bright. I mean, they just do. They just do this. They don't want to see. Although now there is one person I'm working with relatively closely, and she started taking her mask on off i mean a little bit more although she's still scared that that other co-worker will kind of scold her because she doesn't have a mask so when the other person is not around she's a little bit more comfortable if the other person is around she might i mean it's a shit show because she's younger she's mm -hmm. like half my age so you know i mean what would i do at that you know at that age probably i would the way my husband said some years ago he goes you would have been already maybe five times jabbed I'm <laughs> like, it could be it could be i mean you know because he's been patiently sitting next to me for some years now and waiting for me to wake up oh really okay yes yes as i was like oh yeah 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 no the whole gun control you know like guns people having guns they will shoot everybody they will shoot each other and he's like you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> i mean not that now you know we want to really but i understand why there is the second amendment in the us yeah. i mean because otherwise you have australia happen otherwise you have what canada i think it's the same kind of thing they're having some hard time so i'm like oh, okay so now i get it so mm -hmm. my husband was just sitting and like She'll wake up one of these days. She'll wake up one of these days. And then, you know, COVID happened and here we are. Hey, <laughs> he must have been yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. pleased. <laughs> he was so happy because I was really going like socialism and this and that. And he's like, where is she going? I mean, heck. And he knew he couldn't say anything because, I mean, we've been at that point, we've been together 30 years. So he's like, he knows I'm stubborn. So if he said something wrong, I would just be pushing back and just like, blah, 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 blah. so he completely like didn't even bother. He's like, okay, okay, she'll wake up. <laughs> well, good on him for sticking with you for so long. <laughs> oh boy. And he pulled me. So what I can say, another thing, what they do during PhD, let's say during PhD, they pretty much the ego. The ego is a thing, it almost, wow, it almost took me uh, in pretty much in the very wrong direction because my supervisor was like, oh, you're you are so bright and smart. You know, you should go like to Germany for uh, postdoctoral fellowship there and blah, blah, blah. And my husband, I told my husband, oh, yeah, I'm so ambitious and blah. And my husband looks at me and he's like, no, you're not. But then we've known each other for like 10, 11 years. So after 10 years, he kind of is like, yeah, I, I know who you are. And he really knows me. I mean, he goes, the other way we cannot say, you don't really know me, like me for him, but okay. But he knows me. So he's like, no, you are not ambitious. You are not. 
And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So then I decided to stay to not go. Luckily, because I would have been a completely lost person because that is a den of wolves. The lab where I was supposed to go, wow, wow. So, I mean, I say as a couple of times, he really pulled me, pulled me down as I was going with my ego somewhere up, I don't know where. So, yeah. So I think, again, everything happens for a reason, you know? Yeah. I met him just by chance very early on. I was 18 and here we are. Okay. There so 30 go. years, 30 years have been together. 30, 30 plus years. And uh -huh. how long has he been uh, awake for? So he came across, okay, let's put it this way. I'm sure that a lot, of it happened when his mother passed away when when he was 18. So I think that certain shifts happen when you lose people that you're really close to, right? Mm -hmm. I think. And then years later, he came across some book. He told me just later on, I mean, like in 2020, I think he said, oh, you remember when I was looking into like the Disney and all of the programming that Disney is doing with the kids? This was in 2005 when I thought that he was like crazy and he was wasting his time. And he's like, he came across a certain book in Italy that was written by some people about like, I don't know, esoteric, some, some devil worshipers. I mean, so some stuff. And he's like, he really started to be interested what's really going on. So mm -hmm. he's been slowly looking into things for, yeah, I mean, at least, let's say, at least 15 years, but then before. Yeah. So, yeah. And and you, you mentioned very, in passing earlier on, your background, you know, through childhood was that you came from uh, a Roman Catholic family. So uh, presumably, you know, you've inherited, you had at that point, you'd sort of taken on some of that Roman Catholic um, belief system, maybe. Uh, I mean, I'm curious to what extent that was a thing for you back then and then did you have to work to overcome that i mean how much did you take it on i'm kind of curious about that so so it looks like i didn't take it on to a, a very incredible extent at least looks like because from from a family where i grew up when yugoslavia was still a socialist communist whatever i mean communism was you had to belong to the communist party if you wanted to be um if you wanted to advance, let's say as an engineer, if you wanted to go to some leadership position, you needed to sign your soul to the Communist Party. And my dad said no. So I grew up in a family where we knew better. We knew what communism was. But then, so it looks like that I grew up with some idea of a higher power, whatever, God. But then again, God is this scary person and will punish you so it's now i know it's a completely wrong idea what on what uh, of what it how it really works right and you'll find the full video and any bonus materials in my exclusive members only portal the truthiversity this unique creation is the official home for all my multimedia research and entertainment content updated regularly my members get access to absolutely everything i create including full podcasts courses articles videos audio files the whole enchilada Book your spot at truthiversity.com.